1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: Let's pray. Father, help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, For thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. That said, Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall He reward every man according to his work. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay, now, the disciples at this point, they've just come to the understanding that who he is. They've just come to the understanding they understand he's God and he's the Messiah. And it was at that point, this is the point in verse 21, It says, from that time forth, that was the time, began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and be killed and suffer many things of the elders, sheep, priests, scribes, be killed, raped again. So he starts to show them from this point the must of his mission. This is the imperative of his mission. He must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer many things. He must be killed. So, in other words, for a man to save another man from death, this has happened, and this is, it's not usual, but for God to become a man and to die for a man, this is what he wanted his disciples to understand, that he was God dying for men. And that's why it's tied this in, verse 21, with the other part where it says, in verse 16, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. From that time forward, he begins to show them this. Just like the hymn puts it so well. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? It's mistress, mystery all. The immortal dies. Who can explain this strange design? In vain, the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. It's mercy all. Let earth adore. Let angel minds inquire no more. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. So up until this point in the history, he's already made some statements that may have caused the disciples to wonder, it's like hints that he's going to be killed. You know, he said things like in John 2:19, John 2:19, he said, "Destroy this temple and in 3 days I'll raise it up." Who caused you to hear that? You wonder what is he talking about? And then in John twelve thirty two twelve twelve thirty two he's already said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to Himself, I draw all men unto Me. Again, they cause a wonder. If I be lifted up, what does this mean? But these statements didn't explain clearly this exactly what He's now telling them in verse twenty one. Now He's explained to them. I'm going is Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be killed. He is God in the form of men. So this is the beginning to unfold the mystery, the mystery of Romans 16.25. Romans 16.25 says the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. This is a secret that's been kept and now he's revealing it. We're told who he revealed this to. It says in verse 25, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples and the revelation, he's gonna suffer, be killed, be raised again, not to the multitude, not to the people. They were, this was told just to the disciples and how fortunate they were to find this out it has already been explained in Matthew thirteen ten. Matthew thirteen ten, when the disciples came and said to him, Matthew 13, 10, why speakest thou unto them, the multitude in parables? He answered and said to them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. This was the, to whom this revelation was given, and then he reveals the where, the place, in verse 21, he must go unto Jerusalem. Now, he's spent most of his time in Galilee, up in the north. He's up there in the north, he's ministering to the, really the, Galilee could be kind of considered the outcasts of Jerusalem. You know, when you get thrown out of Jerusalem, where do you go? You go to Galilee. You know, you, you go up there, and it's like the Tijuana, Mexico. I shouldn't say that, but anyway. It's like, uh, I remember one time I went down to uh, Mexico City with our group, and we, were, uh, we went to the Ministry of Health there. We were trying to get permission to, um, to inject, um, to have a therapy that would save people from sepsis, sick people. And so we were talking to the the head of the Ministry of Health there, in Mexico City, big building, Mexico City, beautiful place, Mexico City. Anyway, I remembered I was sitting there at, at the table. I would say, you know, we got this thing. We want to go to La Raza. We want to go to the military hospital and find these people dying of sepsis, inject them well. And the guy said to me, he says, he said, no worries. He says, you're in Tecate? And I said, yeah, Tecate. He said, is that, is that part of Baja, California? <laughs> I said, yeah, for the Baja, California. Why aren't you an important place? Why aren't you in Mexico City or Monterey or Guadalajara? What is this? Tecate, Baja California? What is this Galilee stuff, you know? Is you know, John 7.52. They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And Nazareth, which is part of Galilee, Nazareth, in John 146, Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? So, well, Galilee was his home. Galilee was the center of his activities. Galilee is where he was welcomed, but he's saying here his greatest accomplishment is not gonna be in Galilee. It's gonna be in Jerusalem, the capital city, the Mexico City of Israel, the center of Judaism, the headquarters of the religious rulers. This is gonna be the place where he's going to suffer, he's gonna die, and he's gonna be resurrected. It was at Jerusalem. Jerusalem, why was Jerusalem so important? It was the center of sacrifice. There were three times in the year when all the males had to come to Israel, I mean, to Jerusalem, and they had to come not empty-handed. In other words, with sacrifices in their hands. Deuteronomy 16, 16. Deuteronomy 16, 16. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or Passover, and in the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot, and in the Feast of Tabernacles, Or and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Jerusalem was the place of the sacrifice. You didn't make sacrifices in any other place. You came to Jerusalem, and that was the place where the Passover lamb was killed. Therefore, the Passover lamb of God had to be killed in Jerusalem. That's Jesus. And so he's told them why, he's told them now, He must go to Jerusalem. And then he told them what's going to happen in Jerusalem. In verse 21, he says, suffer many things, be killed, be raised again. Now he's told them the where it has to be in Jerusalem. He's told them the who is going to do these things, suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes because they made up the religious court. They made up the Sanhedrin. And this told the disciples that he's going to be tried. He's going to be found guilty. He's going to be executed, punished, executed of a crime. And this group of the elders and the chief priests and scribes were the people who should have been the first to worship and follow Christ. They should have been those who led and brought the people of Israel to worship and obey Christ. That was their role. But this was the group who hated him the most. This was the group who led the people of Israel to call for his, crucify him, crucify him. He describes how he's going to suffer many things, he says, and then be killed. So when he says this, he's going to suffer many things, he's got the fast view in his sight of the many things he can see already that what's going to happen to him. He has not turned his back on his sufferings. His sufferings are very much before his eyes, and the closer that he gets to it, the more and more vivid or in focus that all of this is going to happen. He sees himself standing right on the brink of it all. It says, for example, in Matthew 26, 37, Matthew 26, 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy, and then saith he unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Terry here, watch with me. And he went a little while further. He fell on his face. He prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And then it says further in Luke uh, 22, 44, Luke 22, 44, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat, was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's coming, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's in full view of everything he's gonna suffer, and the many things that he's gonna suffer are pressing on him with such a heaviness that he feels like he's suffocating. He can't breathe. He's panting for air. He's struggling. He's looking for support. Anyone, support him. So he turns to his friends. He turns to James and John, and he turns to Peter Peter and he asks them, just be with me. And what do they do? They fall asleep. They're not supporting him at all. And then he turns to the Father, and he pleads for the cup, the cup of all these many things he's going to suffer. Take it away, take it away. And he prays harder and harder, so much so that the blood vessels in his forehead, they burst under the blood pressure His blood pressure has risen so high it breaks the blood vessels. This is what happens when you have high blood pressure. That's why high blood pressure is so dangerous. You blow out your kidneys. You blow out the vessels in your brain. His blood pressure had risen so high it blew out the blood vessels in his forehead and his sweat now becomes large drops of blood that fall from his ground into the brown dirt but now the dirt has become red with his blood. And all this is then happening as he's anticipating the sufferings he's gonna go through. He's full of sorrows. Sorrows nearly cause him to die. And now he has gained this title of Isaiah 53.3, Isaiah 53.3, a man of sorrows. That's it, a, a man of sorrows. Like the hymn says, a man of sorrows. What a name for the son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a savior. His sorrows are so heavy, they brought him to the edge of death. He's not like ready to die from sorrow. If he had died from his sorrows, his death certificate would have stated cause of death, sorrows. And he doesn't die. Actually, God the Father sends him an angel to strengthen him. So he doesn't die of sorrows. It, but it doesn't because the sins of the world have not yet been put on him. He's just dying from the anticipation of it all because his purpose for his death must be to receive the sins of the world. They will be placed on him. He will die with those sins of the world on him, but not yet. So at this point in Matthew 16, where we are now, he sees his eventual death for those sins, and he just says the words, he will be killed. Now, when you read this, and when I read this, it just sounds so bleak. It sounds so sad. It sounds so helpless, suffering in what sounds like a public humiliation. He will be stripped naked, being tortured to death, and he's not crushed under this horrible anticipation where he is right now. He doesn't die under the weight of sorrows. Why? Why doesn't he die from the, the horrible anticipation? Why doesn't he die under the weight of the sorrows? Because the reason he doesn't die is because his eye has now changed from his sufferings to a wonderful sight. He sees something wonderful, like a joy, and he plugs it right in at the in verse 21, verse 21, when he says, and be raised again the third day. And he's quick to put that in there, and be raised again the third day. So it goes like this, verse 21, and be killed and be raised again the third day. It's a huge transition for him. In verse 21, where it says you must go to Jerusalem, that's downer, that's depressing. Suffer many things, that's a downer, that's depressing. By the elders and the priests and the chief chief priests and and the scribes, that's a downer, that's depressing. And be killed, that's a downer, that's depressing. And be raised again the third day, that's an upper, that's joyful. And you can be sure that when the Lord said, verse 21, that his voice changed, And he was quick to finish up that dismal description with that final statement and be raised again the third day. That part was just not spoken with a sorrowful, dismal tone. From that time forth, verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem. He begins to show to his disciples how. And this one side begins to show, that's an important word how. He begins to show unto his disciples how he must go on to Jerusalem. Because when he describes how, there's two sides of that how. One side of that how is he' showing them how of what will happen to him, how he's going to be suffer many things, how he's going to be killed, but the way he so quickly added in that last statement and be raised again the third day, he's showing them another side of the how, another how, how he will be able to endure it. how he's gonna do it? And when the Lord said how, it was gonna be in verse twenty one, he's gonna go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of his enemies, and then be killed, he, he his sorrow is set before him. But when the Lord said that how in verse 21, he'd be raised again the third day. The Lord has set joy in front of him. He sees his own resurrection from the dead, and he sees joy. It's the joy of himself being raised from the dead. Never experienced that before. Himself being raised to the dead on the third day. And this has enabled him to endure the sufferings and looking down on the shame that he's going to endure in verse 21 and just say, shame I despise you. And this is his secret. This is his secret for enduring the suffering of many things. It's the joy of the resurrection that is set before him. And this is when we look at Jesus, this is what we see in Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, He has brought that joy of resurrection into his sight. And it's the same joy of resurrection he's already brought to others. He brought it to Jairus' daughter. He brought it to that boy, that young boy in the coffin. He brought it to Lazarus. And he was so happy to raise them from dead. And he's gonna, and he'll bring that joy of the resurrection to all of his followers, and he'll be so happy to raise them out of death. And now it's his turn. It's his turn to experience the greatest, what do I say about Disneyland, the happiest place, on earth. This is the greatest ride in the universe, the resurrection. It's gonna be a joy that's set before him. He can hardly wait. He can't wait. It's the joy of experiencing the resurrection that is set before him that's enabling him to endure the sufferings that he's talked about in verse 21. You know, we can endure a lot if we have something wonderful to look forward to afterwards. He endured the cross because he had something to look forward to afterwards, the joy of the resurrection. And that's why he so quickly added in verse 21, be killed and be raised again the third day. His own resurrection was only part of the joy. His own resurrection was only part of the joy that was set before him that enabled him to endure the sufferings. There were many other things. Another joy, Hebrews 2, 9 and 10, Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man for it became him for whom were all things and by whom were all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So there's two joys in these verses of Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. First, there is the joy of being crowned with glory and honor. Forever he will after this, be seen and known in heaven as Revelation 5, 6, Revelation 5, 6. I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. God has never, ever, ever been known as a lamb that was slain for the sins of men. This is the first, first time, and this is a joy for him to be crowned with the glory and honor of becoming God the lamb that was slain. And forever he's gonna be seen in heaven as God the lamb that was slain. Forever he's gonna be glorified and honored in heaven by all the saved as they point to him and say, he's the lamb of God, he's God the lamb who took away my sins. That's gonna be a joy for him for eternity. Forever the saved in heaven will see him and say, he's the reason I'm here. He's the reason I'm in heaven because he is my lamb, died for my sins. That's gonna be a joy for him for eternity to have that, to be crowned with that glory and honor of God, the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, took away sins. So that's the first joy that's before him in Hebrews, 9 to Hebrews 2, 9 and 10, to be crowned with the glory and the honor of being the lamb of God who took sin away. And that joy of being crowned with the honor and glory of God the Lamb slain enabled him to endure the cross of verse 21. And So there's a second joy in Hebrews 2, 9 through 10. Hebrews 2, 9 through 10. The second joy is bringing many sons unto glory. That's a particular joy for him. Imagine a cave, a mine, a shaft collapses, and there's trapped miners down there. And the rescuers worked diligently and they free up the escape route. And that first rescuer who goes down there, imagine how joyful that is for that first rescuer. That's who he is. He is bringing many sons to glory. His followers have already seen him in humiliation. They're gonna see him in a suffering. And when that happens, he's gonna be the first one to go down to the mine shaft and bring out those miners. And in John 17, 24, he said, John 17, 24, he prayed to the Father, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He wants so much to bring them out of the mind shaft into glory so they can see his glory. He wants to show them his glory. He's excited to show them heaven. It reminds me of my wife, Cheryl, just before she died, and she said to me these words. She said, you know, all my life, I've lived a sheltered life in Ohio there, sheltered life, and she said to me, but you went over to Europe and Switzerland and all these places, and you knew so much more about the world than I did, she said, and you were always showing me things that I didn't know, and she said, and that frustrated me. She didn't like that. And so she said, now I'm going to heaven before you so that when you come to heaven, I can show you things you didn't know.
1: <laughs> Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.